There has been a lot of surprising and, frankly, weird behavior since the coronavirus pandemic first spiked in the U.S. The run on toilet paper, obviously, and I'm still having a hard time finding Clorox wipes. Who is hoarding these things? And here's one thing that really surprises me. Since the pandemic started, pet shelters and stores in many cities are having a hard time keeping up with demand from people who are inspired by the pandemic to take home animals. I have had a dog almost my entire life. Sometimes I've had two. And about two years ago, I guess, I finally admitted to myself that even though I've had all these dogs, I'm not really a dog guy. I like my dog, but not dogs in the abstract. It felt surprisingly good to admit that. But being at home these past few months and my kids being at home, I've watched every day my kids throw balls for the dog or chase the dog around the house or throw the dog into a kiddie pool. And, well, I don't know. I'm reconsidering how I feel about dogs. Plus, last week, and this was kind of weird, but I was scrolling the internet late at night, like you do, and I should have been sleeping, of course, and one site led to another, and before I knew what I was doing, I had come dangerously close to buying six Indian runner ducks for my yard. And here's what's weird. That would have been the second time in my life that ducks were an impulse buy for me. I've bought them before. Anyway, this week on the podcast, we are talking about pets. In our first segment, most of us remember St. Philip Neri for his sense of humor or for founding oratories. But did you know that St. Philip was also a cat person? Then, did you ever wonder what happens to our pets after they die? We bring the question to two theologians. And finally, two priests, one just starting out in his vocation and the other approaching retirement, tell us about their pet dogs. You're listening to CNA Newsroom, the podcast that brings you the pets behind the headlines. I'm your host and CNA's editor-in-chief, J.D. Flynn, and my dog's name is Scout. In the Italian town of Gubbio, some 130 miles north of Rome, sits the Church of St. Francis della Pace, the Church of St. Francis of the Peace. The church is large and old, and its white stone exterior is nondescript. Walking inside, you'll find an inscription in the stone above the main entrance. It reads, Dedicated to God and to Francis, the peace bestower. Next to the inscription is the carved image of a wolf. The church is built on the spot where, according to legend, St. Francis of Assisi made a peace pact with a wolf that had been terrorizing the town of Gubbio. The story goes something like this. Back in the early 13th century, a terrifying wolf began to stalk the countryside surrounding the town. He was hungry. He preyed on livestock. Soon, his hunger brought him closer and closer to town. He began to attack anyone who ventured outside the walls of Gubbio. The ferocious wolf gripped the townspeople with fear. Eventually, it got so bad that no one would even dare step outside the walls of the city. A friar from the neighboring town of Assisi heard about the attacks. He traveled to Gubbio to meet with the wolf. According to the legend, the wolf rushed at the friar, teeth bared, ready to attack. The friar made the sign of the cross, and suddenly the wolf slowed and became docile. He laid his head 
on the friar's hands. The friar spoke to the wolf gently, calling him Brother Wolf. He scolded the wolf for terrorizing the town and for killing so many people. Then the friar offered a deal. If the wolf promised to never again attack any person or animal, the townspeople of Gubbio would feed him and make sure he never went hungry again. And the wolf agreed. Legend has it that the wolf lived near Gubbio for another two years. He would peaceably go from door to door and the townspeople would feed him. And when the wolf died of old age, the townspeople mourned him. St. Francis is remembered for many things, his poverty, his preaching, but most especially his care for animals. St. Francis is so closely associated with animals that even the Catechism of the Catholic Church offers him by name as an example of the gentleness with which Christians today should treat animals. The Catechism offers one other saint as a model for animal treatment, a saint that might surprise you. It was the 16th century Italian priest and mystic best known for founding oratories, St. Philip Neri. His relationship with animals was somewhat like we see in some of the lives of the Desert Fathers of Egypt in the early church times and of St. Francis of Assisi, where animals were attracted to him. They sort of had a sense of his holiness and purity and kindliness. Birds would be um, would sometimes come and flutter around in front of his face. And he would open the window and say, let them go out, you know, let them be free, and they would prefer to stay with him. This is Father Juvenal Merrill. He is a longtime member of the Oratory of St. Philip Neri in Toronto. One of his responsibilities at the Oratory is teaching novices about the life of their founder. Father Juvenal said it's hard to separate fact from folklore when it comes to St. Philip's association with animals. This is mostly because, at the time, it was really uncommon for people to keep animals as pets. I mean, there were, there were people who kept pets, and particularly hunting dogs. But, you know, there were a lot of sort of street dogs and street cats, and, uh, and they weren't treated very kindly a lot of the time. People back then rarely even kept records about animals. Bear in mind... People don't re often record a lot about pets. I mean, even people in contemporary situations, you know, do we know much about, you know, the people in the news? Do they have pets? It's, it's not something that's generally talked about. So it's not something that made it into a lot of hagiographies. My name is Wadeen Koenig-Bricker. A longtime Catholic journalist and author of several books about the lives of the saints. One story that has been passed down involves the pet dog of a cardinal in Rome. St. Philip happened to meet this pet dog and the dog developed a great affection for St. Philip, so much so that the dog abandoned the cardinal to stay at St. Philip's side. <laughs> and the cardinal was somewhat miffed about this, that, that his dog deserted him in order to, to live with, with St. Philip. St. Philip would feed the dog often and give him many treats, and in time, the dog became a little overweight. St. Philip would then ask his disciples to carry the dog through the streets of Rome to teach them humility. He was ingenious in finding ways of mortifying his disciples, his followers. And so he would make them carry this dog around. And so it was a real sort of chore. You know, they'd walk around the streets of Rome with one of them carrying this big dog in his arms. Although St. Philip loved this dog, it would probably be more accurate to describe him as a cat person 
He allegedly had several pet cats during his lifetime. There are a number of stories that we have, maybe apocryphal, maybe truthful, that there was one particular chair that only the bishop was allowed to sit on. Well, the bishop and St. Philip's cat. The bishop used to send him, he was a great preacher, the bishop used to send him out on essentially missions because this was during the Counter-Reformation. And Philip did not like to go out on missions, even though he was a particularly good preacher and he was very effective. So he made the bishop take care of his cat. And then the, the bishop would send out envoys and, and, you know, want to know how's the mission going, you know, and all of that. And Philip would write back, are you taking care of my cat? What are you feeding him? Have you given him milk? How is my cat doing? Send word about my cat. <laughs> Father Juvenal shared another story involving a cat. Maybe it was the same one, maybe a different one. St. Philip spent about 30 years of his life in the same community, and this cat lived with St. Philip for many of those years. Near the end of St. Philip's life, members of a new oratory community asked him to come and live with them. But St. Philip was very attached to where he was living, and declined the offer. So, members of that community asked a friend who was a cardinal to bring the issue to Pope Gregory XIII. Maybe the Pope could command St. Philip to move? Their plan actually worked. He obeyed once he received the command from the Pope, but he again sort of mortified his disciples by having them sort of stage a, uh, a sort of mock procession uh, through the streets from his old home to his new home where they were living, uh, carrying his few sort of kitchen utensils, in a sort of solemn way, like it was a religious procession. And everybody was laughing sort of as, as he went by. But the cat was a different story. You know, cats do not like to move, um, generally. And so he left the cat at the church of San Girolamo. But then he was very concerned that the cat should continue to be looked after. So he sent some of his spiritual sons, uh, members of the oratory, in particular one of them, Father Galonio, who later on wrote the first biography of St. Philip. Uh, he sent him every day, twice a day, morning and evening, to feed the cat. And when Galonio came back, he would ask him, even if it was in the presence of cardinals and um, bishops and people who you know, often visited him, uh, in his later years, he would ask them, how is the cat doing? Did she eat well? You know, is she looking good? <laughs> how is she doing? There are countless other saints who have had connections with animals in their lives. Whether these stories are fact or fiction, Woodin says it speaks to a higher truth about how Christians should treat animals and what animals can bring to our lives. I think sometimes we underestimate how important animals are to us. Almost every home in America has some kind of a, of a pet. Pets teach us a level of selflessness. They exist in a way to teach us just uh, teach us compassion and teach us a sort of both how to give and receive love because animals truly do love unconditionally. They don't care what you look like. They don't care if you're old or fat or overweight or poor or anything else. And for a lot of people, I think that that experience of a really unconditional love may be the first or only time they have that in their lives. So I think that we need to remember to honor the animals that we share our lives with because they're part of God's creation. For CNA Newsroom, I'm Jonah McKeown.
Growing up on a farm in Nebraska, I experienced a lot of animal life and death by a pretty young age. I have one particularly traumatizing memory of my dad dragging our beloved pet horse, Smokey, with chains behind the tractor after Smokey had died. My six-year-old self watched with a combination of horrified and grieving tears until my mom pulled me away. To this day, I'm not sure of Smokey's final resting place, and I'm a little afraid to ask. I saw a lot of pets die. Herbie and Chester and Buddy are faithful dogs. Multiple cats, including Little Al, the kitty I got to name when I was in fifth grade. I cried every time a pet died, no matter how domesticated or not. My dad told me my tears were good because they meant I had a good heart. Even though I was a cradle Catholic, I don't really remember asking my parents whether our pets went to heaven when they died. I have a vague memory of someone, either my parents or my CCD teachers, telling me that animals don't have the same kind of souls like humans, but that animals, in theory, could be in heaven for us to enjoy. The thing is, the church doesn't have a clear teaching on this. The Catechism teaches that animals are God's creatures. They bless God and give God glory, so they should be treated with kindness. But will they make it past the pearly gates after death? We brought the question to two theologians. If you talk to most Catholics who are theologians, serious theologians, well, they'll say no. David Devil is editor of Logos, a journal of Catholic thought and culture, and a visiting professor in the University of St. Thomas's Department of Catholic Studies. And in fact, at the, uh, the Thomistic Institute in Washington, D.C., they sell coffee mugs that say, your dog is not in heaven. Father Daniel Maria Klimek is a Franciscan friar, recently ordained priest, and an assistant theology professor at the Franciscan University of Steubenville in Ohio. It's interesting because while generally speaking, we do acknowledge this distinction between a human soul and an animal soul, a number of prominent uh, Catholic and Christian authors and thinkers are still open to the possibility that our pets may be in heaven one day. Father Daniel said St. Thomas Aquinas' approach to the issue is probably the closest thing we have to a standard of Catholic teaching. Aquinas writes in the Summa that animals do have souls. That may sound, uh, you know, kind of kooky or something like that, but soul in the, the Catholic understanding is the principle of life, so even your plant has a soul. But Aquinas doesn't stop there. He goes on to write that the souls of animals are markedly different from the souls of humans. The souls of animals are not rational. They keep animals alive, but they don't carry the intelligence and free will of a human soul. But even Aquinas, arguably one of the greatest theologians in history, is not infallible. Thomas Aquinas has made mistakes in other areas. You know, he, he famously did not believe, for example, in the Immaculate Conception. So there's still, you know, that very real possibility that even a saint, even a doctor of the church can be wrong on certain matters. It doesn't mean that it undermines the profound gift that his theology has given the church, but it definitely keeps the door open for other possibilities when it comes to this question. So what about popes, who can speak infallibly on matters of faith and morals? Well, we don't get any clear direction from them either. Pope Pius IX was the first pope to weigh in on the issue, back in the mid-19th century. 
He said, no, animals do not have souls, and so they are unable to go to heaven. Over a century later, Paul VI reportedly told a child, mourning the death of a pet, that we will one day see our pets in eternity. Then, St. Pope John Paul II implied, maybe yes? Benedict XVI said definitively no, which was a huge blow considering how much Benedict loves cats. A few years ago, Pope Francis was quoted by some Italian news sources as saying, yes. Now that turned out to be, unfortunately, more, more bad, bad journalistic practice of basically saying something that he didn't say. He was a little more careful than that. Um, he basically was saying that the whole creation awaits this, this renewal. There are Orthodox theologians, like David Bentley Hart, who believe animals, and yes, even our specific pets, will be included in the new creation. And they say scripture backs them up. You have passages in, for instance, Romans 8, where St. Paul writes about, you know, creation is itself eagerly awaiting the revelation of the, of the sons of God. And so there is this sense that everything is going to be there. Some say the Garden of Eden in Genesis is a symbolic reflection of heaven. Animals were there, so it would make sense that they would also be in heaven. But whether the pets we own and love on Earth will be included is still greatly debated. Father Daniel said there could be something larger at play in this question. There's a great video by Father Mike Schmidt about, will I see my pet in heaven? We'll link the video in the show notes for this episode. Anyway, back to Father Daniel. But I really like what Father Mike said. He said, quote, if I need my pet to be happy in heaven, then I'm not ready for heaven. And what, what he meant is that when we grow in holiness, when we grow in the intimacy and love of God, we slowly become so in love with the divine, with Jesus Christ, that all other cares, all other worries, even all other attachments start, start to disappear. And when we reach heaven and, you know, really experience the glory of God, the bliss, the joy, the supernatural happiness will be so profound, so immense, so eternal that, you know, if my dog isn't there, that's okay. For CNA Newsroom, I'm Mary Farrow. Coming up after the break, two priests talk about how their pets have helped them in their vocations. So don't go anywhere. Sit. Stay. We get it. You read a lot of news. Uh, You read a lot of church news. And... Probably you want to talk about it, but probably not a lot of people want to nerd out with you about church news each week. But we do. If you want an inside Catholic conversation about the life of the church from a Catholic perspective, we're here for you with a podcast called CNA Editor's Desk. Every week, Ed and I sit down together to talk about the most important Catholic news of the week. We offer our analysis and opinions. And we talk about how the news even helps us in our call to become holy. And we play games. Because yes, 
We are here to amuse you. So if you like Catholic News Agency's coverage of Catholic news around the world, you're going to love CNA Editor's Desk. Each week, we will break down the stories you want to talk about. If you're listening to CNA Newsroom right now on your phone's podcast app, open that app right now and search for CNA Editor's Desk. Then hit the subscribe button so you will never miss an episode when it drops each and every Friday. And now, back to the episode. Being a priest in the Diocese of Helena can sometimes be a lonely business. The diocese covers nearly 52,000 square miles of western and north-central Montana. Spread out across those 52,000 square miles are 95 parishes and missions, served by only 73 diocesan priests. Up here, almost every parish only has one priest, and we're spread out so far. I just know one thing, and I've shared this with my spiritual directors and clergy friends and my my lay friends, and this might sound really weird. I think having a dog has kept me in, in my vocation. Father Val Zadilla is pastor and the only priest at Resurrection University Parish in Bozeman. He's been at the parish for about 14 years, and for about nine of those years, he's found a friend and companion in his dog. Olive. My female Labrador retriever, she's down there. Olive, hey girl, come here, say hello. I don't know, here, here, girl. Well, she's laying down in her bed right now. I don't know if you can- Oh, sweet girl. So she's my pal, um, always my constant companion. Father Val and Olive live in a house near the parish. Every morning, Olive fetches the newspaper for Father Val. On Sundays, Olive has a sense for when Mass is about to end. She'll go and lay by the exit of the church and roll over for belly scratches from parishioners as they leave. So many people want to greet her, especially our little ones, because she's safe. I mean, she is just the most, she'll just lay down and roll on her back and just want everyone to rub her stomach. And, you know, she's a real lover and she's uh, a very gentle, gentle dog. Olive also joins Father Val on hiking excursions in the nearby mountains. Just did a 10-mile mountain hike with her yesterday. And I'll tell you, we're both feeling our age because we both came home and I took a nap and she slept (laughs) for hours. Olive isn't Father Val's first dog. He's a longtime dog person and he had pets growing up. But that was something he gave up when he entered seminary in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. A few years after his ordination. I was in Oxnard, California at uh, Santa Clara. And um, I had found out that a few of my brother priests up there would have dogs. He began to wonder if maybe he could get a dog too. The way it worked, if the pastor allowed it, because, you know, the pastor was in charge of the house and I was just a grunt. So um, I did ask my my pastor and he, he said yes, as long as I was responsible and it didn't keep me from my pastoral duties. Father Val adopted a black Labrador. He named him Hector. In his spare time, Father Val trained Hector to be a comfort animal. Eventually, the priest and the dog began making regular visits to the pediatric wards of local hospitals. Where some of the kids were um, burn victims or wards of the state, sadly, you know, by 
parents, it's even hard to use that word, that were on drugs and stuff and, and took it out on their children. They physically abused them, um, burned them a lot of times. Many times children would have burnt hands. So little kids would think that their hands were bad. You know, kids just process things differently. But if you, a Labrador retriever, in my opinion, it's my, the, my favorite, their ears are like velvet and very soft. And they like to have their ears rubbed. So you put a little kid to try to get the kid to uh, develop an assurance that that kid is not bad, that their hands are not bad, and they could touch something that is very soothing and not going to hurt them. It, it, it's a little confidence builder. Father Val was incarnated in the Diocese of Helena in 2006, and he brought Hector with him. Hector died in 2011 at the age of 12. Father Val adopted Olive a few months later, at the insistence of several parishioners. And she's been my constant companion since. Father Val continued his service work with Olive. Today, they visit nursing homes and Alzheimer's units in his area. Just to touch, a very friendly animal seems to bring a lot of a lot of comfort to a lot of our folks that and it sometimes even brings back memories of their own experience with pets being a priest with a pet is not for everybody especially a dog um, but it is for me and it has helped me to keep my priesthood more more real balanced you know I, I'm just a mere mortal like anybody else. And uh, we live alone. And um, when you're always alone, it's, it can become, you know, not, not very healthy. But when you have a pet, you know, I have to feed her. I take care of her health. I have to go outside and pick up her gifts every day. Um, and it, it just reminds you that it's not all about me. You know, since I don't have a family, I, um, I've learned to understand how to care for others in a different way. I always wanted, you know, like later on in the priesthood, you know, when I had my own kids, I'd be like, oh, I could totally have a dog. This is Father Alan Fan. He's a priest in the Diocese of Lincoln, and he has always been a big fan of animals. And I think that's why St. Francis of Assisi has always been, like, my go-to guy. <laughs> he never had pets growing up. His parents wouldn't allow it. Father Allen remembers he and his brothers pooled their money together one year and adopted a dog to surprise their parents. It did not go well. We only had that dog for, like, a couple hours before my dad called, like, the pound. <laughs> He got a taste of pet ownership while he was in seminary. The rector at his seminary had a dog. And nobody else would take care of it. Or, you know, Father Eikhoff, it was his dog, but he was just so busy a lot of the time. So I kind of just picked up on some of the duties and just help him out with the dog. As a deacon, he was assigned to a parish in Seward, Nebraska. He and the pastor talked about dogs and what it would be like to have a dog at the rectory. When Father Allen was ordained, he was able to stay at that parish in Seward. Conversations about getting a dog continued, and Father Allen began watching dog training videos on YouTube in his spare time. A few months later, in September of 2019, Father Allen was at the doctor's office. 
I remember it was September 25th is when my doctor said, I've done hundreds of colonoscopies before, and I know cancer when I see it, and this is cancer. Father Allen returned to the doctor a few weeks later to have a chemo port placed into his chest. I couldn't drive, so my friend was coming with me. And one of the doctors said, you know, you're going to want to get up and move a lot as much as you're able because, you know, if you're going to sit around on the couch or in bed and stay that way, your body's not going to want to fight as much. But if you're moving and walking, your body's going to want, it's going to be motivated and it's going to want to fight back the cancer. So I thought, oh, wow, like getting a dog would really be helpful about that. As he and his friend left the doctor's office that day, they started talking about what would go into adopting a dog. Is there a chance they could find a dog that day? They googled vet offices and pet stores and found one that was only a five-minute drive. We thought, well, let's just go check it out. It was just for fun. But before walking into the clinic, Father Allen said he might seriously consider adopting if the clinic had a golden doodle available and if he could get a discount. So we go in and we're just looking at all the dogs and sure enough, there was one golden doodle. I asked them if I could, you know, just play around with her for a little bit. And so they led me into a room and uh, we were playing around and I didn't say anything else to the, to the owner. And she came back and she's like, I'll give you a discount. <laughs> like, oh man. <laughs> Father Allen took a selfie with the puppy and texted it to his pastor. And I said, can I keep her? <laughs> and I found this out later on, but he was with uh, his priest friends and he's like, how do I say no to this? And they're like, you can't. <laughs> and so he said, yes, you can keep her. But if she chews up the rectory, then she has to go. Father Allen brought the puppy home that day. He named her Daisy. I think the hardest thing was to just potty train her, but she picked up on it pretty quickly, which made everything else so much easier. Daisy is an incredibly social dog. She loves to meet people, but I guess maybe she forgets that she knows people, so... One person she sees in one room, she goes to the next room, she sees another person, and that other person from the other room comes in, she greets them like she's never seen them before. I'm like, okay, calm down, you know? She's picked up on a lot of tricks. And when she does something bad, you can totally tell, like her ears are just popped down and she has like these sad, sad eyes. There has been some chewing at the rectory. She's gone through multiple beds because she's definitely a chewer still. Um, but she's getting a lot a lot better about that. It might not sound like it, but Daisy can also be really calm. You know, like once she gets over the 10, 15 minutes of excitement of meeting new people or new dogs, um, she kind of just starts to settle down. And good companion, she loves to sit on your lap. She loves to sit by a person. Father Allen takes Daisy with him most of the time to visit kids at recess at the school attached to his parish or to his office where she's a favorite of the parish secretary and even sometimes to the high school where he teaches some classes. Uh, we'll play frisbee, we'll play catch. Uh, otherwise, we'll walk for like, you know, I'll do, do a rosary walk, which takes about half an hour and so that can be easily maybe two miles, three miles, something like that. So... But yeah, I think that kind of sums up my day with her. 
Adopting a puppy at the same time you start cancer treatment isn't exactly for everyone. But Father Allen said Daisy has been really helpful. She really did help me, you know, with all the responsibilities that I had with her to keep on moving and just keep on going on my walks and not, you know, fall into like self-pity and just stay in bed. So I just got better, faster. And so uh, my doctors were really happy with how I was healing, how I was progressing with all the treatments and everything. There were days, though, typically the first couple of days after receiving chemotherapy, when it was really difficult and painful for Alan to move. And so I would have friends that would watch her, but when I felt better, I would uh, take her back and then kind of get back into my routine again of just walking around the neighborhood um, and just, you know, continue to teach her tricks, play around with her and uh, stuff like that. When we spoke, Father Allen was recovering from a surgery, removing the last of his cancer. Daisy was staying with some friends while his incisions healed. I did see Daisy for one day, and she jumped on me again because, you know, I haven't seen her for two weeks, and she already likes to be with people. And so she jumped right at my incisions, and so I knew, like, okay, this is not going to work. Father Allen also had a second and hopefully final surgery scheduled. And then everything should be good to go. They'll just monitor me for, you know, the next couple of years to make sure that I remain cancer-free. But yeah, so right now I'm just trying to think, like, when am I going to see Daisy again? And when is a good time to actually bring her back? Father Allen hopes to get Daisy certified as a comfort dog so he can bring her along on his visits to nursing homes and the homebound in his parish. I just thought, you know, if we could <laughs> calm her down just a little bit more, um, she'd be able to bring joy to places where, you know, it can be hard to find that joy and just remind them that, you know, things may be tough, but the Lord is always there. And as long as we keep our eyes on Him, there's always going to be joy. For CNA Newsroom, I'm Kate Oliveira. CNA Newsroom is a production of Catholic News Agency, a service of EWTN News. We're produced and edited by Kate Oliveira and Jonah McKeown. Our executive producer is Kate Oliveira, and her dog's name is Layla. A very special thanks this week to David Devil, Father Daniel Klimek, Woodine Koenig-Bricker, Father Juvenal Mariol, Father Val Zladilla, and Father Alan Fan. And please remember, guys, to keep Father Alan in your prayers, and then go on YouTube and watch Indian runner ducks running around. You might just buy some, too.